Hey, I'm Ben Ramos, and I get the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor. We are a church all about the authentic power of God coupled with sound theology. Because God's given us his inerrant, infallible word, and in it, he calls us to be people who are filled by his Holy Spirit, people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and people who are led by his Holy Spirit. As a local congregation, God's called us to help people take steps in their relationship with Jesus, to see them rise from death to life and glory to glory. I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I truly pray and I hope that this message would be an encouragement to you and your life, that it would help you to recognize that the mission field is all around you and that it would help you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed. Today we're continuing to study through the word in this message series entitled Concrete Stability During Unstable Times because that's the time we're in. And I believe that God has a word specifically for us uh, today. And I want to be looking at the specific topic of uh, remaining steadfast when, pace, when facing impossible situations. And I hope that we would recognize this, that there is an, uh, there is an opportunity in this impossibility. Just take a moment to sit on that. There's an opportunity in this impossibility. Type it out. Type it onto your screen. Hey, friends in the room, say, say it out loud. There is an opportunity in this impossibility because there's lots of impossibilities in our life. And we're going to continue working through um, the book of Daniel. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his spirit left him, or his sleep left him, rather. And uh, this just helps us get back into a little bit of context of where we're at studying through these scriptures. We remember that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you would, they um, have been taken from their home in Judah. They have been uprooted, taken from everything that's comfortable. They've been brought to a foreign land of Babylon. And as they're there, they're being indoctrinated with this whole indoctrination program of saying that everything you were taught before is wrong. We will take your strengths, we will take your wisdom, we will take your good looks, and that will add to our society, but we want to teach you the right way to utilize them. And so it's an indoctrination process. And this was generally a three-year process that they would actually walk through. And from this text, it could be one of two points. It says, Um, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is one of those things that historians tend to debate about. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, sometimes they would communicate the reign of a king from like the ascension year and then year one and then year two. So this could be the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's actual reign and it could be the second year of these boys' 
these boys' indoctrination program. Or it could be the third year of their indoctrination program. And that's the one that I tend to lean towards uh, because of some of the context that we'll grab here in a little bit. So this is either the second year of their training. And it says in Daniel 2, starting in verse 2, Then the king commanded that all of the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And so they came in and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. Wrong king. (laughs) I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king uh, in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll show you the interpretation. Verse five. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruin. Someone say, that's a bad day. That's a bad day. And if you show the dream and the interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And the second time, they said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered them and said, I know with certainty that you're just trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. This just speaks to the type of people that kings in that day would normally surround themselves with, even with these magicians and enchanters and um, dream interpreters and all of this stuff. These people would normally hear the dream and they would speak kindly to the king, kind of tickle his ear per se, and make him feel good about himself. Oh, wise and mighty king, you're going to be incredible and you're going to be bathing in bath bombs of gold or, or something of that sort. And the king is saying, no, this is serious. I don't want anything fake. I don't want anything drawn up. I want the authentic. I need to know what these dreams mean. And the Chaldeans said in verse 10, they answered the king and says, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. That's that's not good news for, for them, is it? It's not good news that they don't have a God who knows what's going on, that they don't have a God who can actually speak into the situation, that they don't have a God who can help them understand when they don't have understanding. That's that's not a good day for the Chaldeans. Verse 11, uh, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with with the flesh. Our gods aren't here and they can't help and that's not good at all. And the these magicians and these Chaldeans, essentially what they're saying is, this is an impossible situation. This is absolutely impossible. There's nothing we can do to help you. You've got an impossible ask there, my king. 
But as people of God, we get to look at these impossible situations. And when people continue to say, no way, no way, no way, we get to say, Yahweh, 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 that's our God, and that's what he does. There's no such thing as impossible. But I'm getting ahead of my, myself. Slow it down there, Ramos. But the magicians and the enchanters and the sources are saying this, this no way. And in uh, verse 12, we continue on. Here's the, the king's response. What do you think? He was angry. The king was angry and furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and, as, and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, I like to put it, wisdom and tact. And he responded to the king's man, Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who has gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And in verse 15, it says, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint a time that he should show the interpretation to the king. This is an impossible situation. Really just consider what's taking place. So there were the top advisors, the top Chaldeans, the top magicians that were there before the king. And um, when they declared to the Lord that they wouldn't be able to do this, he said, all right, kill them all. And that actually included even the magicians and enchanters and wise men that were not actually there in that moment, people like Daniel. And so this impossible situation for Daniel and his friends kind of gives us some insight. How can we act when it comes to uh, impossible situations? How can we act? Remember, uh, there was a verse last week that I shared um, that's really applicable to this season. And I didn't camp there and I didn't communicate all that I wanted to communicate through it. So if we could pull the next verse up. And so um, the scripture I want to point to is at the bottom of the screen here. It's 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I just want to consider how we react and how we respond in certain situations, especially situations that may seem to be impossible. And so what often takes place is something happens, an event, and we go into either fight or flight. This is a natural reaction. This doesn't happen with much thought. We just jump into it. It's either we, we go to fight or we go and run into flight. But as Christians, as people of God, we've got something else that God calls us to. If we could go to the next slide, please. So we have to ask this question. If God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, as those who follow Jesus, this is who he says that we are. This is the identity that he gives us. And so we have to ask the question, when an event happens and we run into fight or flight, is that acting from a place of being empowered? Is that from a place of actually loving the people around us? 
is this a, uh, something where we have consciously made a, a, a sound decision with a sound mind? I'm going to go ahead and uh, give me the answer to that question. And the answer is, nope, nope, it's not. That's not, that's not the, the spirit that God has put inside of us. That's not how he's called us to respond in, in situations. Hit me with the next slide. And so instead, here's what we get to do. We get to go from that event, and instead of going to fight or flight, we get to use our God lens. We get to filter everything that's taking place in our life through this God filter, this God lens. And we get to ask, how is it that God is seeing this situation? This is through the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. How is God seeing this situation? And then we act in faith. And instead of having a reaction, which we don't actually process or think about, it's just like a chemical reaction, it just happens, now we get to go into a sound response. It's the same concept with the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Romans 6.18 says this, And having been set free from sin, I have become a slave to righteousness. And so the implications of this text are actually that I was once a slave to sin. And I was once a slave to the ways of this world. And consider what a slave means. A slave means that the slave driver is saying, not when do you want to eat, what do you want to eat. The slave driver is actually saying, this is what you're going to eat. You you do not have a choice. This is when you are going to eat. You do not have a choice. And so when we look at our lives prior to Jesus Christ, we didn't have a choice. We just gave in to the lusts of our flesh, whatever we wanted to go do. That, that's whatever sounded good. That's what I was doing. But now we're free from that. We're no longer a slave to this sin condition. We're now slaves to righteousness. And so righteousness dictates what we get to do. We're not a slave to this reaction anymore. We've been set free now to a sound response because of the spirit of God that dwells in me. Someone say, he dwells in me. He dwells in me. And so what Daniel does in this sound thinking is that he investigates the situation. He goes before Arioch and he um, says, well, tell me what's going on. I haven't even heard. You're just showing up at my door, literally here to kill me, and I don't even know what's happened. So in impossible situations, we get to step back into that sound response and say, what are the facts here? What's actually taking place? And then, God, how do you see that? How are you seeing the situation through your lens? And that's the view, the perspective that we're called to step into. And so Daniel investigates. He says, tell me what's going on. And then how he goes about it too. He, he does it in prudence. He does it with tact. He, he doesn't jump into that fight or flight. He's, he's doing that calm processing, that honoring processing without freaking out, essentially. And then he says to Ariok, he says, give me, give me an appointment with the king, which is shocking to me because as I'm reading this story, I'm like, hold on a minute. Daniel hasn't even, he doesn't have the dream yet. He doesn't have the dream interpretation yet. He's just taking a step. He's taking a step of faith saying, all right, God, I trust. 
I trust that you're going to provide. I trust that you're going you're to speak into this. You're going to give me what I need for the situation. And I remember, I, I just wondered this morning who, who that's for. Is, is that for you this morning where God's saying, just, just take the step? It's a time of faith. Just take that step. That's what Daniel does. And in this impossibility, in this impossible situation, there is an opportunity. And there are a few opportunities that I want to hit. The first is there is an opportunity in this impossibility to recruit. Hit me with that next slide, please. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and then told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. This is the recruitment phase. He's recruiting people so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed uh, with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Next slide. There's an opportunity in this impossibility, and that is to recruit Give an invite to those friends who will pray through the night. There's an invite. Give an invite to those friends who will pray through the night. We've got to have those people around us. Daniel knows he's got some people in his life who will pray through the night, who will seek God until this is answered. I've got a few people in, in my life who I can, I can do that with. I can shoot out a text and say, I... Man, I, I don't know how to do this. I, I'm stuck in this situation. I need, I need God to do something. And I know who those people are. I'm, I'm wondering if you have people in your life who you can text, who you can email, who you can call that will pray with you through the night. It doesn't even have to be on the phone, but you know that they're going to be praying with you. If you don't have those types of people in your life, I want to tell you, I would personally love to get you connected with some people like that. We've got some prayers in our church. We've got some friends who will pray with you until God does something because that's who God is. God hears our prayers and he responds to our prayers. Sometimes the answer, the response isn't always what we like, but he does hear and he does respond to us. There's an opportunity in this impossibility and um, if we could hit the next verse, it says in verse 18, and Daniel told his friends to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And so a mystery in the Bible is something that is unknown once, but God makes it known. It's something that was unknown of before, and then God makes it known. And um, there's an opportunity in this impossibility to recall, to recall God's faithfulness, to recall what God has done. You can, if you can hit the next one, please. You can have confidence that nuggets of wisdom will come for him through him who gives them, that he will do it because he's moved the mountains. I'll see him do it again. He's done it before and I'm gonna see him do it again. There's confidence in knowing that God's going to come through because he's come through before. It's who he is. In fact, it's someone that he declares that he is. In Isaiah 44, 7, allow me just to read this to you. God is speaking 
through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Who was that? Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Verse 8, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? Right? God has always spoken to his people. From the very moment of creation, it was his words going forth. God is a God who speaks. Amos 3.7 says this, For the Lord God does nothing. This is a powerful verse. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. God speaks to his people and he can come through again. And so as these boys were praying and seeking God to reveal this mystery, God comes through. God comes through with revealing this mystery. And therefore, Daniel went on to Arioch and said, all right, I'm ready. Put me in. Put me in. Get me that meeting. And I want to jump back into our text in verse 26. If we can hit the next one. There we go. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show you, uh, can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. I like that because it's almost like he's coming all the way and making all of this up to show up to the king and say, No. (laughs) Verse 26, or uh, verse 28, rather. But there is a God. I love this. It's almost like, I know a guy. You guys guys know a guy who could do something like that? Go ahead and type it in. I know a guy. I know a guy. And it says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay on your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, you come to these thoughts. And essentially what Daniel does next is he tells the king what his dream is. And then he tells him uh, uh, what these dreams mean. And um, just for time's sake, I'm gonna allow you guys to read that, dive into it, study through that, the visions um, in these dreams that the king had. But I wanna jump to the response. What the king does after hearing his dream, which no one else knew, Uh, as the God of all gods, the God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. He spoke into it and he shared what this dream was. I want to tell you what this response was in verse 46. It says that then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Next slide. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. 
Daniel made a request of the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. There's an opportunity in this impossibility. And there's an opportunity not only for the first two, but also to rebuild. There's an opportunity to rebuild. Recognize what Daniel was able to do here. Daniel was able to have an impact on the nation because of, uh, because of this impossible situation. So rebuild. It's an opportunity to rebuild. Be in your stations to shape the nations. Consider, consider the time that we sit in. I was just sitting and preparing this message this week and recognizing that I'm connected to people, and I'm not bragging on me, I'm connected to people on almost every single continent on this planet. And think of the influence that we all have like this. How many people we are away. I have a friend who is friends with the guy who prays with the president of the United States. We are positioned here in this day and age, in this moment, in this time, to have a reach globally. We can reach, we can reach all across the globe. Be in your stations to shape the nations. Consider, consider this time, and Lori, if you'd come and, and help me close. Think of here, well, allow me to share with you some of the things that God's doing in this season that cause me to rejoice and jump a little. Um, and I, I jump even a little bit more as I'm not up on here on stage. But as a church, since COVID-19, we have connected with over 2,000 new people. As a church, we've been able to help more people per week than we were prior to COVID-19. We are seeing new people stepping into worship via giving. Others have been more generous than normal in this season. Though it's certainly not at 100%, people connecting and engaging in community here at our church is greater now than it was prior to COVID-19. And spiritually, as we look at what's taking place, again, this isn't new to God. It's the same game that Satan's playing over and over and over. He's like, let me see what I'm gonna do. Let me see what I can do to interrupt, to mess things up. And God's like, I'm gonna use this for good. And I'm gonna use this for good. And I'm gonna use this for good. This is our testimony. This is the God that we serve. That he'll take what Satan has intended for evil and use it for good. So what if, as we look at impossible situations, it's, it's supposed to be a cue to us? What if it's supposed to be a cue that when we see, it's just like our response now when we see a hot burner. We say, oh, that's hot don't put my hand there. What if our response to impossible situations is to say, 
there's an opportunity in this impossibility. There's an opportunity for God to move. There's an opportunity for me to step up and look a little bit more like Jesus. There's an opportunity for God to do the miraculous. There's an opportunity for me to serve someone else. There's an opportunity in this impossibility. What if, what if that's what we're supposed to be grabbing a hold of in this season and shifting our perspective on? Imagine what this world would look like if every single follower of Jesus began to think exactly like this. There's no such thing as impossibility. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray. Father, we thank you right now in the mighty name of Jesus for your presence with us today. We thank you for the comfort that you've released, the peace you've released, the healing that you've released. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. We just declare that you are our provider, that you are our God, that everything we do is for you, for your glory. And we declare that there's no such thing as an impossible thing, that instead of impossibility, we will step up and step into declaring that there is an opportunity in this impossibility. In Jesus' mighty name. Hey, hope you enjoyed the message. And remember, the mission field is all around you. So go in the power of Jesus and bring that transformation for his glory.